One of the things I've always loved about the Royal Brompton and Harefield Hospitals is the pioneering and world-class research programmes here. They develop new treatments, they improve care for patients, and they help inform decision-making and policy across the NHS. My guest for this episode is a great example of all of that having authored nearly 700 papers over his career, including a huge amount that have helped better understand cystic fibrosis, the reason for my double lung transplant. But not only that, he's also recently been involved in campaigns around the world aimed at stopping the advertising and promotion of e-cigarettes to children. Just a couple of weeks before this recording in February 2024, the UK government announced that they would be banning the sale and supply of disposable vapes in an attempt to prevent the worrying increase in use by young people, although no date has yet been set for the ban. This episode allowed me to understand the reasons behind the ban and the risks posed by vaping, by speaking to one of the key people behind swaying the government to take this drastic intervention and to see if he thinks it goes far enough. This is community. This is specialist. This is collaboration. This is more than. This is more than. This is more than. This is more than a hospital. With me, your host, Ollie Lewington. Professor Andy Bush is a consultant paediatric chest physician who's been part of the Royal Brompton and Harefield Hospitals for more than 30 years. He's also currently a professor of paediatrics and paediatric respirology at Imperial College London. Andy has held visiting professorships at Melbourne Children's Hospital, Wake Forest School of Medicine in North Carolina and the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He also currently holds a prestigious post as a National Institute for Health Research Senior Investigator. Professor Bush has regularly spoken out about the unknown dangers of vaping and the concerning level of marketing aimed towards children. In this interview, I spoke to him about why he feels campaigning against vaping is so important, the changes in medicine over the course of his career, and what possessed his son to take on this year's London Marathon. But I began by asking him about a looming six-foot-tall polar bear that sits or rather stands in his office at the Royal Brompton Hospital. Andy, thank you so much for talking to us this morning. Pleasure. Thank you for having me, as they say, in the best paediatric circles. So before we get into the meat of this discussion... I, I'm not with you this morning, but I have seen your office and I wanted to ask you a, the, the story behind the the giant polar bear that you've got there. Well, the giant polar bear used to appear at Christmas on the children's ward and he had his own Facebook page and he used to have a new outfit made for him every night by the night staff. But unfortunately, even though I can find no record anywhere of a large white polar bear being an infection risk. He was banned from the ward as an infection risk, and I had to take him in to avoid him being exported permanently from the hospital. And is that the general story behind the the vast number of, of different small, furry, cuddly things that you've got in your office as well? They've gradually accumulated over the years. Sort of presents people have given me, and there's bears that were going to be thrown out, which is you simply can't throw out a bear. It's just not possible. 
I think I'll probably have to retire when the bears leave me no more room in the office. But at the moment, we're knocking along together quite okay. So a polar bear becoming an infection risk is obviously one significant change. That, But you've had a, a long and a illustrious career, if I can if I can put it that way, you've dedicated your whole career to to children and young people. What are the biggest changes that you've seen in the way that medicine is practiced? Well, right, rewinding back to when I was a little toddler and I had an eye operation, there was no question of your mum staying with you in the hospital. The mums were all thrown out at four o'clock in the afternoon and the procedure that was done as an two-night admission, which is now a day case, parents were chucked out. It was all very much more unfriendly than it is now. And I suppose the biggest change has been more and more focus on the child in the family and making the hospital as child-friendly as possible. On the technical side, I suppose um, imaging, particularly brain imaging, has changed dramatically. Um, The use of flexible endoscopes, telescopes, into almost every orifice you can imagine to to get samples. And the absolute staggering basic science advances that are now delivering us hugely significant treatments in the field of cystic fibrosis, uh, in the field of spinal muscular atrophy, so many treatments resulting from a real fundamental understanding of the basic biology of the disease and real personalized medicine. From a completely selfish point of view, I love the amount of work that you've put into cystic fibrosis over the years. CF is the reason that I had a double lung transplant in 2007. And so I know that the work that you've been part of has contributed massively to the changes in CF treatment and the changes in understanding of CF, as you say, the basic science developments all the way through to more personalized medicines. You're named as an author on, I think it's more than 700 different research papers, which is a frankly ridiculous amount of research papers to have been part of. Are there any particular pieces of research that you've done that stand out in your mind or things that you're particularly proud of being part of? Well, all of these things are a team effort. Doctors flying solo just achieve nothing. You need to be part of a team. I've been incredibly fortunate in the number of brilliant collaborators I've had, brilliant brilliant team members, both in the clinic and in basic science. I suppose some of the things that I think we've made a difference is in the understanding of really severe asthma in children and and airway phenotyping and trying to understand matching the right medicine to the right patient. In cystic fibrosis, as of course you're well aware, the the new molecules, which are absolutely spectacular, I've been a spectator marveling at the science um, from the the side. Um, And we're also beginning now to get into an understanding of, of wheeze in quite small children and the early origins of disease. So one of the things that we've got to learn is that most adult diseases have their roots in childhood or or in in the pregnancy or even before conception. And if we're going to make a difference to adult health, we've really got to start early. 
too late when they're adults. It's too late. And talking about getting involved in things early, one of the major focuses of your time right now is is around vaping and particularly children and vaping, which is is incredibly concerning, quite apart from the fact that you know, they're supposed to be for over 18s. The fact, the fact that children are vaping is, is incredibly concerning. But what is it that you're particularly trying to communicate and, and to achieve with your work in, in that area at the minute? So the first thing to say is that nicotine is a drug of addiction. And nicotine on its own is damaging to multiple organ systems. And it is addictive. And we are finding children, quite young children, who are addicted seriously to nicotine as a result of vaping. The the next question, of course, is what other chemicals are in vapes? Uh, You may remember that Dame Sally Davis was our chief medical officer, and she's a woman with a brain the size of a pantechnican. She's a really, really intelligent human being. And she said she did not know what was in these vapes. And if somebody of her caliber doesn't know, nobody else does either. And if you look at the ingredients list, they're very bland, sort of flavorings and stuff like that without particularizing. The lungs, as you well know, are very delicate organs and they're not designed to have a lot of hot chemicals inhaled into them. And that seriously concerns me. The lungs are delicate structures. So there was an outbreak of an interstitial lung disease, an inflammatory lung disease in Korea, with a 60% mortality. And eventually it was tracked down that the cause were disinfectant fumes, that the disinfectant had been put into the humidifier, disinfectant had been inhaled out from the room, and this had caused this serious disease. We can't afford to be careless about what we inhale into our lungs. And there was a ban that was recently introduced by the UK government, what does the ban cover? What they are banning is disposable vapes. And there are good reasons for doing that. The first is these things are pocket money prices. They're easy of access for children, for young people. They're cheap. uh, They look attractive. And that's what a lot of them are using. There's also environmental issues from this. I'm not a particular expert in environmental science, but I can find no realistically useful model whereby chucking away a lot of disposable vapes is anything other than a bad idea. You've been part of uh, a similar campaign to introduce a ban in Australia, which I think came into effect last summer, the summer of 2023. What what other countries are, are leading the way in approaching vaping and banning vaping? So Australia, as you've highlighted, is, is one of the prime movers. We are lagging well behind. We're, we're the odd man out in, in, in the world um, in our perception of, of e-cigarettes. Um, different countries have, to have, different, have different restrictions. Some, have, some are ban- trying to ban imports, so that's easier said than done. But I think we need to stress that we are well off the pace. We're the the odd man out. And either it means we're the smartest people on the planet or we've got it seriously wrong. And I'm afraid I think it's the latter. There are a lot of people who, who just don't believe that vaping 
can possibly be as bad as smoking cigarettes, given everything that we know about the dangers of tobacco and the amount of research that's gone into lung disease related to to cigarettes they and and on the face of it they do seem relatively harmful you know they i mean they certainly smell better than cigarettes do and what what do you think it is about vapes that causes people to not consider them the same level of danger so of course you're right tobacco is very harmful nobody in their right mind would advocate um, pe- that people should smoke it's very harmful the list of the, of diseases caused by smoking is enormous and we're still making new discoveries and we're also making discoveries that if you if you smoke this is affecting your will affect your children and your grandchildren it really is a problem so what about e-cigarettes well the first thing to say is that the acute reaction to vaping which is rare can be very serious indeed. So there have been children, young people using legal vapes who have have gone on ventilators in the intensive care units, have gone on life support machines, heart heart bypass machines, ECMO is the technical name, as a result of acute exposure. Now this is rare, but it happens. And the acute toxicity of e-cigarettes is much greater than the acute toxicity of tobacco. If you, if you dabble with cigarettes behind the bike shed, um, obviously that's a dangerous thing to do, but the acute response is likely that you vomit and make a fool of yourself. But with e-cigarettes, you can actually get seriously ill. We then now come to the chronic long-term effects, and we simply do not know because they haven't been around long enough. I'd like to point out that the late, very great Sir Richard Dole took 30 years to convince us all that cigarettes caused lung cancer. And we're still making discoveries about the bad effects of cigarettes. I don't think we can afford to wait 30 years to reassure ourselves. The precautionary principle is to treat these things as harmful and to look at the chemicals, the hot chemicals that are being inhaled and think this is really seriously not a good idea at all. Granted, this was... a uh quite a long time ago Um, but public health england as they were then once said that that vapes were i think 95 percent better than cigarettes do you think that statistic was just made up or or was it simply misinformed when it was produced the lancet one of the leading medical journals on the planet wrote an editorial which completely trashed it. You can't do a 30-year study in less than 30 years. And I would also point out that most of the vapes are made by the tobacco industry. And at the time when smoking was being investigated, they did their best to sow confusion and, and hide data. And their record of trustworthiness and openness is not one that is very commendable. These are the people making vapes. How do you combat that from a campaigning perspective when there are things that that tend to linger in people's minds when there are old statistics that don't really stand up to any sort of scrutiny how do you combat that and and work to change people's minds whether that's trying to disencourage people from actually 
picking up a vape in the first place or campaigning against them to the lawmakers and governments and things like that? So this is all very difficult. As you know, there's a lot of stuff circulating on social media and lapped up uncritically. Stuff that is, frankly, away with the fairies and you cannot get rid of it. It's there and it's very difficult, particularly also, there is no question that the industry is using social media to try to advertise to the young and to try to peddle their stuff. So Jules, who are a manufacturer of e-cigarettes, were f- settled a lawsuit brought in the United States against them for advertising to children. They settled that for half a billion dollars. Yeah, that is a serious sum of money, and the marketing is at young people. Well, we can do something about that. We should be legislating. We should be treating these things exactly as tobacco. Uh, no advertising, no displays, no use of them in public pl- in public places, no sponsorship of sports events. I'm old enough to remember things like the Benson and Hedges Cup and the John Player League in cricket. We're coming back to those days, only it's vapes. And it's terrible. How can that be allowed? And we also ought to be banning all these sexy flavours. You pointed out, I think they smell very nice. They do. This is a deliberate ploy. Uh, so we need to ban flavourings. And this has been, the WHO have just produced a position paper on this and are advocating really stringent measures and saying if, you know, if they're being used for smoking cessation, we've got to be done in such a way as they're not seen as cool and sexy and appealing to ensnare young people who are as yet not using them. So they're being used for smoking cessation. So people are being encouraged to pick up a vape to stop them smoking cigarettes. So there are smoking cessation clinics, and I don't work in them. I'm not an expert. I don't see adults. There are numbers of strategies that that these that smoking cessation doctors use, and these include things like nicotine patches, nicotine gum. There are med- medications that are used, and some of them think that e-cigarettes are a way of stepping down from tobacco. Now, if a reputable smoking cessation doctor wants to prescribe them, and I use the words prescribe advisedly, wants to prescribe them to somebody to help them get off tobacco, then fine, I'm not going to speak against that. What I would say is that the idea of just transitioning from tobacco to vapes is only half the, pro- the issue. You need to then transition from vapes to nothing at, nothing at all. And in terms of transition, I mean, one of the things, there's been some epic scandals, as you probably know, that their vapes have advertised how much nicotine is in the liquid. But actually what's inside in the liquid is much greater. And I can't help thinking that if you're giving higher concentrations of nicotine than cigarettes, this isn't going to be a strategy to, to break nicotine addiction. Because these things are being marketed in ways that children find attractive, Is there a risk that children who would never consider picking up cigarettes or tobacco use will start vaping instead? I think there's a big risk. I think most people now know that tobacco is harmful and it's not a particularly sexy thing anymore. It used to be sold as something very cool, again, 
bit like e-cigarettes now, uh, women used to market tobacco cigarettes. I think most, for most people, the days of tobacco cigarettes are numbered and fewer and fewer people are taking them up and more and more people are trying to give them up, both of which is excellent. But that means, of course, the industry has a problem. Uh, where are they going to get their money from now? And they need to create a new market of addicts and they need to create young addicts. No point in getting somebody as old as me addicted because I'll be gone in a few years' time and there's their source of income gone. But if you've got a young addict who's got decades of life ahead of them, then you're going to make serious amounts of money. You mentioned there the difference between the acute response to vaping as opposed to tobacco and how e-cigarettes differ to your immediate reaction to cigarettes. And that's one of the things that's most concerning, isn't it? Coupled with the fact that a lot of the cases that have been documented are very young children presenting at A&E departments. Yes, indeed. It is very concerning. The reports of children as young as nine and ten being brought to A&E departments uh, with vaping-related illnesses. It's very, very concerning how many children under 18, the so-called legal age, who are accessing these things. What we're doing is just not working. We are not keeping these things out of the hands of children. And the, there are consequences. And there, there have been some extreme reactions to vaping that, that we wouldn't and haven't seen elsewhere. What sort of things have happened to young people who have tried e-cigarettes? So there are case reports of bleeding into the lungs, of severe allergic reactions in the lungs, of fat accumulation, so-called lipoid pneumonia in the lungs, probably about 15 or 20 different respiratory illnesses have been, have been described as an acute consequence of e-cigarettes. And there's just recently been a paper published documenting that those who are in homes where somebody vapes, you've heard, of course, of secondhand smoking, passive smoke exposure, passive vape exposure also increases symptoms of breathlessness and bronchitis and cough. Uh, I'm not an expert in other, in other systems, whether, whether there are other side effects that have been reported, but the respiratory ones I'm certainly concerned about. The point that you make about the content of the vapes is also significant, isn't it? I, I know that trading standards have raised concerns about different levels of nicotine, about the levels of ingredients that are contained within the fluid. Um, how is it possible that these things are allowed to be on sale when we don't know what's in them? You tell me and then we'll both know. They are peddled. Oh, it's all sort of bland flavorings and stuff like that. You know, you eat flavorings every day of your life. So, so of course, you can inhale them. Well, that's that's not just not sensible. And there's I don't know if you're aware, there's an asthma form of asthma, an occupational asthma by that affects bakers who make bread, who if they inhale flour, get an asthma attack, but they're able to eat bread perfectly safely. You know, it's not rocket science. Breathing something into your lungs and swallowing them into your stomach are two rather different things. 
I don't know how these things are allowed. I think the complacency with which we've allowed them to be put on the market when we simply don't know. And if you look at some of the studies that have been done, when you heat these chemicals, the number of compounds that are inhaled, we simply do not have inhalational safety data on these compounds. And that worries me a lot. Vapes have been one of these things that have emerged relatively slowly since they were first introduced um, as, as an alternative to smoking. And as you say, a, a lot of that started with the tobacco companies wanting to offer people a, a quote-unquote healthier alternative as people were getting more concerned about smoking cigarettes and, and other forms of tobacco. Was there a particular tipping point for you where something that you were seeing or something that you were experiencing took you from a sort of generalized interest and concern to a point of actually taking action? So I can't think of a, but one specific Rubicon moment that really changed me. I, my levels of anxiety were getting greater and greater as I saw the prevalence figures for experimenting with vapes going up and up, particularly in North America, because generally where North America starts, we follow. I was also indirectly involved in the care of a young person who, en who ended up in intensive care after vaping, and that certainly was a, a wake-up call. But the general tide, with the, there, there isn't a sort of big inflection point, though I suspect that a number took it up in, in COVID when they were cheap vapes, um, people were in a bad place with, during lockdown and things like that. I suspect that did not help. But it's the general tide of, of the prevalence going up and up and up, combined with the extraordinary complacency of our political masters in allowing this to happen. You know, I'm all for a tobacco-free world, but what we need to be is a nicotine-free world. And, you know, the breathtaking hypocrisy of the tobacco industry say, oh, yeah, of course, we want a tobacco-free world. Yeah, only if we can make our money peddling nicotine in another form. Do you think there's enough funding going into exploring the, the long-term impacts of vaping at the minute? Probably not. Let me put it this way. I think the onus is on the industry to show that vapes are safe. Look, if I had a new medicine that I wanted you to take, you would want me to show you that it was safe, wouldn't you? They need to show that this is safe. They need to fund the studies if they think they're so damn safe, which they won't. But it will take time. And I look at the papers and see, all, see the multiplicity of chemicals that are generated. I also think of new inhaled medical therapies and the stringent testing that they have to undergo before they're allowed onto the market. And there's an enormous disconnect. It's apparently okay just to sell, because they're not medicines, it's okay to sell them willy-nilly. And that is really worrying. You know, to me, to me, until you know that inhaling something is safe, you're better off not doing it. It's a strange disconnect, isn't it, that people inhaling medications are desperate to know that what they're inhaling or even what they're just taking in pill form or whatever it might be, they want to know that they're safe but people are quite happy to try something recreationally without 
really knowing anything about it. And I wonder if people just assume that because it's available on the market, it must be safe. I think that must be the assumption or the, the fact that maybe also when, when you're a teenager, you know you're going to live forever. You know nothing bad is going to happen to you. And 30 is extreme old age. So you really could, you know, you're really not interested. You're interested in the here and now. If you talk to young people, why do they vape? It's easy accessibility of the vapes and social pressures. And I remember one young man telling me, it's no, it's no good talking about saying, oh, well, your chest will be bad when you're 35 if you vape. You know, why, why worry when you're about what's happened when you're a very old person of 35? And we need to do more. And I think we need to get, get involved, those people who've been hooked on vapes and got off them. Because the one thing that's very clear is that a teenager is not going to listen to an old person like me. They're certainly not going to be interested at all. We've got to get peer-delivered educational material out there and start young. Given your background, given the fact that you've dedicated your career to, to children, do you feel a duty to talk about the things that you're talking about and to get involved in these kind of campaigns? Is it a duty or is there a, another reason that you, you get involved? It's a duty of care to preserve the health of children, not just those who are actually sitting opposite me in the hospital, but out in the community, because we'd all agree that prevention is much better than finding a cure. And if we can prevent ill health, if we can prevent the long-term consequences of exposure to nicotine, that has to be a good thing to do. That has to be the role of the paediatrician just as colleagues are, uh, and I are campaigning on things like climate change, on socioeconomic status, on child poverty and obesity. These are pressing issues for children's health. And therefore, anybody who remotely cares about children's health should be getting themselves involved, at least in my view. When we talk about the difference between cigarettes and e-cigarettes, what are the overlaps in the toxicity between the two nicotine is obviously a common ingredient are there other things that they have in common and things that maybe they don't yes yeah, so we know as you say that nicotine is in common and there are numbers of scientific studies that have looked at the inflammatory and immune pathways that are altered by tobacco by e-cigarettes and by both and there are certainly common toxicities between the two and indeed, tobacco impurities have been found in e-cigarette liquids. However, what is very clear is that e-cigarettes are not just a sort of watered-down version of tobacco. They have their own bad effects, which are not shared with tobacco. And of course, in fairness, the same can be said about tobacco. Everybody should disabuse themselves of the notion that this is some sort of milk and water version of tobacco. It's much safer because it's dilute, blah, blah, blah. It's not. It's got its own particular toxicities. And we're only scratching the surface. Remember, we, there are literally thousands of different vape liquids. And each of these contains goodness knows what and how many ingredients. We're only beginning to scratch the surface. And indeed, we probably never will do more than that, because to study all these liquids is going to be a task, a labour of Hercules. And as, as more and more come on the market, there'll be more and more gaps in the evidence. Should we be redirecting funds from 
researching the impact of cigarettes and tobacco into researching the impact of e-cigarettes and vaping? So clearly, there is a lot of interest and right interest in what e-cigarettes and tobacco can do. And you know, we are still discovering new bad things about tobacco. I think what we really need is a big financial and energetic focus on public health. We know enough about tobacco to know that smoking is a bad idea. In my view, we know enough about e-cigarettes without any more data that they're a thoroughly bad idea. Uh, yes, we should be finding data because there are still people using them and we want to help them. They're victims. But we really know enough to say we do not want e-cigarettes as part of the life of this country. We just do not need them. When it comes to funding research, your son is actually trying to raise some money for the Cystic Fibrosis Trust and their their research and support programs at the moment. He's taking on the London Marathon inspired by your career. That must feel pretty good. It does. I'm very proud of him and of all my children. If you read his blog, he uh, pulls my leg fairly mercilessly and, that, and that's fine. He's raising money for the Cystic Fibrosis Trust. It's a it's an organisation that's dear to my heart that's funded our clinical activities and our research activities at the Brompton Hospital for many, many years. And also, of course, the clinical and research activities across the country. So it's a really great cause. Um, Matt Bush, running the London Marathon, um, please sponsor him. It's a great cause. And as he said, he's doing it. He says it will save him buying me a 70th birthday present. So there you go. One of the things that I'm trying to achieve with this podcast is exploring a little bit about what I see as the unique community within the Brompton and Harefield hospitals. You've obviously been part of the hospitals for a long time. And I wonder what you think is behind that very singular sense of community within the hospitals. I was certainly, I've been involved a long time, more than 33 years. And yes, it is a community. I mean, I know my colleagues well. I know who to, to go to if I've got a problem. I know where I can get, a, get advice. I know who's a good op opinion. And like we discussed a bit earlier, it's about teamwork, isn't it? It's about teams these days. No one person, whoever they are, can know every, all they need to give the best care to a patient. So yeah, the Brompton and Harefield is a community and a, and a community that I value very much. Professor Andy Bush, thank you so much for talking to us today. I really appreciate uh, your time and I think it's it's been a really interesting insight into not only the work that you do, but the work that needs to be done going forward. Thanks very much indeed. Chatting to Andy was fascinating. Obviously, I'm predisposed to liking him purely because of the amount of time he's invested in cystic fibrosis research. But his focus on vaping and the amount of work he's doing to publicise its effects is enormous. It's so scary that we seem to be making the same mistakes all over again when it comes to companies being able to advertise and promote products that are proven to be harmful in the short term and we have no idea what their long-term impacts are. We obviously need more research but we also need a 
proper public pushback against them. While I'm here, I also want to wish Matt well in the marathon. And I know that the money he's raising will go to really important work by a charity that I'm very close to. Thank you for listening to More Than a Hospital and we'll talk to you next time.